Okay, got awesome. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining in with us Sunday night local. Um, it's going to be a good night. Um, we are going to be speaking on our third, well, we're talking on building the house. This is uh, the series we're doing at the moment, and this is the third week. And I am excited to be able to share with you a mind to work. Um, that's the subject I'm going to be talking about, and we're going to be looking a lot around Nehemiah. Um, everyone familiar with the story of Nehemiah? Yeah, everyone quite aware of, of, of it. But we're going to go through it a bit tonight. Um, we're going to take a look at how the people of God had a mind to work. In Nehemiah 4.6, in the New King James Version, they were halfway through the wall. It said it was halfway to its original height because the people had a mind to work. It says it in the New King James Version. So we're going to open that up and we're going to look at how that relates to us um, in this generation today. But before we do, I just want to share just a personal testimony for me in regarding to, to serving Christ and living for Christ. You know, actually, January just gone, 12 years I've been at Family Church, and um, for most of you know, most of you know my testimony beforehand, but I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is when I walked through and what happened next. Um, when I walked through the, fa- the, the doors, first and foremost, I was expecting to go to a church that looked like a church that was old and there was a vicar at the front with incense. That's what I was picturing, that's where I thought I was going. I was prepping myself ready for that. Little did I know I'd be walking into a school with a bunch of people fully alive, fully awake. It was amazing. I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I'm sure some of you have also experienced that. Wasn't expecting that was what church was. Um, But one of the things I wasn't expecting was that there would be a work to be done. I wasn't expecting that. Little broken me just thought I needed to go and get healed, get go and get go and get made well again, and then patted on the back and sent my way. Little did I know that actually there was a work to be done. And you know, my expectation of church was that the vicar did all the work. You know, that's how I grew up. The man at the front does it all. People just sit there, be quiet, shh, don't say anything. A lot of old people, and we we just watch the vicar tell us something nice out of That was my picture, but no, that's not the truth, is it? Um, it was in that room that I walked in on that, like that night when all my whole life was blown away. And I didn't experience, though I did, people, and it was full of life, and it was like, wow, this is incredible. These people that were full of joy that I'd never known, full of just something about them. But actually what I happened was I encountered Jesus. Jesus. The name that's so precious above every name. Like Pastor Annie was just saying, that we're now in him, and we stand in a position, and we stand from where he is. I encountered the living God, and my life was never the same again. Now, was it the people, was it the work? No, it was the encounter of Jesus that causes a transformation in our life, right? All of us here are here because Jesus has done something in our life. You know, I became consumed, is the right word for it. I'm one of those people that is all or nothing anyway, and when I get hold of something, that's it, my life, and this took hold of me. When Jesus turned up in my life, my whole world was shaken. I was like, this is, this is the best thing in the world. You know, addictions had dropped off, things had gone. Now my life was ready to go. Um, in fact, on the Sunday of when I gave my life to Christ, midweek I was already on outreach. I was at Connect Group. I was there because I was desperate to want to know this God and serve this God that had changed my world. You know, I was at, as I said, connect group every week. I found myself just opening the Bible. There was a desire in me that wasn't there before I knew God, just to want to know him more and more and more. And it, in fact, it was my encounter with Jesus that caused my heart to want to serve and work for his purposes. And I'm going to lead this on to Nehemiah in a minute, but 
I'm going to read first from James, the book of James, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 18, which you're all probably very familiar with this uh, passage. And James speaks and he says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can this kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. It's kind of hilarious, right? You can't do that. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. How can you... That's not right, is it? What good, he says, does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless if it doesn't. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And I love this, because this is the reality. When we have an encounter with God, it's very natural for us to start desiring to do good, to want to move in a good way and help. Not out of religious duty of ticking a box, is it? Like, oh, I did the right thing this week. I, I, I helped that man across the road. It's not about that. It doesn't come from a religious external experience. It comes from an awakening on the inside of who we are. When we're turned on on the inside of who we are, when Christ has done something, and it's out of love for him, we have a relationship with him, right? And that's what causes us to want to go after him and serve him and serve his purposes. As we read the Bible, you know, one of the first things I did, I, I went and got myself a Bible and I, and I read it. I didn't even understand after the time what I was reading, to be honest with you, especially in the Old Testament. I was confused. I say it all the time to people. Like, I, there were sacrifices being made. I honestly thought, what have I turned up in there? I thought, oh my days, this is mad. Sacrifices? Have I, have I got to do this? But I carried on reading. Obviously, I knew I didn't have to do that. But I carried on reading. I carried on reading. I was so desperate for God that actually I just pursued him in such a way that was probably extreme to some maybe but I just was all in Um, and the more I fell in love with God the more I was consumed with his business I went from someone who didn't care if there was a homeless man on the street to serving three times a week desperate to reach these homeless people to to being at everything so much so that people would be like you're on on too much you know it's like you need to take a step back you're gonna you're gonna have like a mental breakdown in a minute you're doing everything because I was I was desperate I just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And it wasn't coming out of, it was coming out of as I fell in love with him. You know, as you fall in love with him, and and it's the opposite. When I see people falling away from him, you see they stop doing things. They stop serving his purposes. They stop serving the kingdom, and they turn to a natural kingdom. I don't want to be that in this generation. I want to be someone that's consumed with the purpose of God, the, the work of God. Do you know God's got a work for each and every one of us? You know that? You know, he's got a work for all of us to do. And in fact, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss that. Um, Psalm 69 is actually, if you read it, it's one of those psalms that actually will make me cry. I read it yesterday and it brought a tear to my eyes. It's the heart of David like never before. It is so beautiful. Like nothing in the world can do this other than the word of God. Can break a hardened man into a soft person. Like when you read the word of God, it does something so beautifully. But David here is crying out to God for some relief. He's spiritually tormented here. He's broken as a person. But listen to what he says in Psalm 69 verse 9. Passion for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And throughout this psalm, he's constantly saying, God, I'm I'm fasting for you. And they're mocking me for it. I'm, I'm putting sackcloth on 
and, and, and they're, they're laughing at me. I'm the, t- I'm the laugh of the town. Even my own brothers don't want to know me. All because how much he loved God and wanted to go after the purposes of God. He was insulted daily. He was, he was the laugh of the town. It said the drunks sing of him. Imagine that. Because he loved God so much and didn't want to do anything outside of his purpose. He was so in love with God and the purposes of God. That was his heart. To the point where he says here, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. To the point where when people insult God, it was like they were insulting David as well because he was so close to God. I want to be there. I want to be like that, you know? I want to be to the point when, actually, if someone's speaking bad of God, that's like speaking bad. Hold on, that's affecting my heart badly because I'm so close to God. Because this is where, when we're close with God, is where we start to have a fire and a passion to want to go and serve and work for his kingdom. If we don't know him, truly want to fall in love with him on a daily basis, how can we ever want to go and do his work? Right? We've got to fall in love with him daily. Daily fall in love with him. Come to him. Because he's got a word for you fresh every day. I'm done with the, the world in the nicest way possible, serving its purposes in the kingdom of this world. I've had enough of it. God's got something he wants to do on this earth and it, it requires a kingdom-minded people that want to step up to the call of God. And do you know what? We're going to look at Nehemiah here. But Nehemiah was that very man. In a, in a, in a time which looked horrendous, really. Like To give a backstory of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, I believe Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. Ezra was a priestly man who served in a similar time. Nehemiah was a domesticated man. He was a civil man, served as a king bearer, a cup bearer to the, to the um, king of Persia. Now, Nehemiah was just in that time of the exile, you know, when Babylon had taken over, they had destroyed and, and tore apart Jerusalem, it was no more. They had taken the captives, they had taken lots of people back to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, an evil king. But then about 580 BC, little history lesson, it's about that. Um, I think the king of Persia, King Cyrus the Great, came in and took over and destroyed Babylon and sent the remnant of the people back to, 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 to Jerusalem. And he allowed, there was two waves of people that went back, and I think Ezra was part of the second wave. But Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artexidus, I think he's the name. I'm not very good at the names, I apologise for that. But he was the cupbearer of the grandson of King Cyrus. And so we're going to look at this guy's life and what he did. So in Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 4, it reads this. So right at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. I'm not good at Hebrew, I can barely speak English very well, so I apologise for that. Um, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, again, forgive me for this, his reign, I was set, I sat at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me. So at this point, just here, pause. So the, the, the remnant are there in Jerusalem, and, and Nehemiah's not. Nehemiah is a domesticated cupbearer. He's a man of the, of, 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 the, of the royal duties of the king of Persia. So although he is of descent of, of Israel, he's still here serving the king's purposes. But he gets a word back. So it comes here. It says, um, so he says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And this is the report. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down 
and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I don't think that was the response he wanted. I think when he was asking how it was, he was probably feeling quite good. His people have been sent back, you know, oh, this is great. How's it going? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's disgraceful. We're, we're, we're made to look a shambles. Like, everything's falling apart there. I mean, that isn't the, the, the report that I think he wanted to hear. And look, look at his response. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. That's an awesome response, right? He, he wasn't just, oh, it's not good. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Oh, it's not, it's not very good. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Just try and sort something out. That wasn't his heart. Nehemiah didn't turn a blind eye to the situation as if it wasn't happening. He knew something needed to be done. And he went into a time of prayer. He went into a time of fasting. He wept before God. He knew God. He, he was desperate for something to change here. And you know what? I, I paused there and I, I realised when I look at our generation, I don't think we've got a great big wall to build somewhere. I don't think that's what we need to do. But when I look outside and I ask, what's the report out there? It doesn't come back good. Oh, it's lovely out here. It's great. It's a great time to be alive. It's, people are desperately, are desperately broken. There's a people out there that are desperately lost. You only have to go and walk around the back here and just walk around for a bit and you'll see it. You only have to walk out your front door and go and ask a couple of people and you'll see it. There's a brokenness about society. But what's our, what's our response to that? You know, are we going to be like Nehemiah that goes, Jesus, you need to do something. Jesus, we need to do something. Jesus, I need to do something. Am I going to take responsibility or am I going to pray out there and just walk away and turn a blind eye? Or am I going to get on my knees and say, God, I am chosen for this purpose now. I am chosen. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Each one of us, you know, we're ready to go. We need to get on our knees. You know, we've just come out of this time of fasting. But you know what? We need to keep pressing in. We need, we need to keep praying to God and believing that things are going to shift. Because the report isn't good out there. You know, every different day it changes, right? When you turn the news on, if you listen to this, it's one day it's this, one day it's this. There's fear mongering everywhere people are frightened there's depression there's suicide oh god do something here that's not the report of my world that i want to live in i don't want to live in that kind of world and jesus has given us authority to take hold of this and change it but am i going to turn a blind eye or am i going to say god use me use me i have nothing other than what i've got here but use me somehow some way let me be a beacon of light in this dark place See, people are lost, they're broken, and they're desperate for healing. And we have a healer inside of us. We can't ignore and pretend it's not happening. We need to stop and present ourselves to God for the work at hand. Soldiers of the army of God. Ready, just like Nehemiah, who presented himself before God, ready for the good work. This is all part of the procedure of having a mind to work. Remember, this is us standing in our generation. Saying that one day, hundreds of years, something would be written of what we did when we stood up and trusted our God and saw miracles break out. Amen? So I've got five short points that I want to share. And I think they're practical enough for us to go away and have a look in the mirror and think, actually, God, I need to move some stuff. I need to think about the way I'm doing some stuff. And I think they will encourage us to take a step forward and sign up ready for the work of God. You know, I'm sure many of us are already on the work of God. This isn't to say we're not doing it. This is to encourage us to keep going. This is encourage us to say, actually, is there something I can be doing? 
And the first one is this when we read about Nehemiah. is denied self for serving God's purposes. So he denied himself. And in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 5, we'll have a look at this. It says, early the, the following spring, so this is about six months later now, after this initial report has come back, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, again, rain, sorry if I've said that wrong, I was serving the king, his wine. Again, remember, he had duties. He was, a, he was a, a man who served in the royal court. I mean, he probably had quite a nice life in regards to that. The king probably wasn't harsh to him, was very good to him, knew him very, very relationally. I never appeared sad in his presence. So Nehemiah would have never appeared before the king sad ever in his presence. And the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. The king was probably worried about his mental health, maybe, maybe the, 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 the psychological, I don't know. But then I love his response. Then I was terrified because he had to stand before this king, who probably, let's be real, in those days, kings would have had anyone killed if they wanted to. You know, he was terrified. But I replied, long live the king, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I love the king's response. See, if God's for you, no one will be against you. Understand that. If God is for you, nothing will be against you. He will make a way. The king asks, well, how can I help you? I love that. How can I help you? You know, great leaders and authorities in this world, when we trust God, they will come and say, how can we help you do this? When we dare to stand up and stand in the presence of God and walk with him. And I love this. With a prayer to the God of heaven, then he says, I replied. So I think he had a moment where he was like, oh dear God, please help me in this moment as I replied to the king. That's how I see it, you know, like we all do. You know, you could imagine it. Imagine the king, the queen, going to the queen and she said, well, what can I do to help you? You would be praying in your head like, oh dear Lord Jesus, help me get this right, please. And he said, if it pleases the king, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And we're going to stop there, but we know that the king gave him this authority. And not only that, he blessed him on his way quite mightily, sent him with chariots, sent him with things, sent him with all that he needed. But the reason why I'm talking about denying self here is because Nehemiah had to get over that initial feeling of fear. He would have been frightened to have to go to a king and humble himself to say what he had to say. But he had to do it. He had to get over that in order for the purposes of God to be done. Also, he would have given up this nice life. He probably had a quite a cushy life. He would have been kind of, you know, serving the king's wine, probably had a little bit of a palace to himself, a bit of a room. He would have had a nice life in this sense. And I named this, he gave up the life of a cupbearer to become a foreman on a building site. Because that's basically what he did. You know, it's like watching one of the queen's servants stand down and go and work on a building site as a foreman. It's like he had to deny that self of, you know, does he really want to do this? But passion for my house, passion for the house consumed him in this way and he got to work. He went from royal duties to a labourer or to labour. And sometimes doing the work of God means we're not, it's going to be uncomfortable. It won't always be easy. And that's something we need to just take on the chin and trust God in. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to feel fluffy. Oh, this is so lovely, isn't it? It's going to be awkward. Oh, I've got to tell him about you, Jesus. Really? Oh, here we go. It's one of those embarrassing moments when you're in a shop and you feel like God's asking you to lead someone to Christ. All been there, and it's awkward as anything, you know, but you do it anyway. Sometimes we have to get over ourselves for a dying world. 
Sometimes we have to lay ourselves down. Like we say, you know, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's not just a pleasant scripture that's written to make us think, oh, lovely. That is a, a meaningful statement to say that we are not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice on the altar of God, still having arms and legs to move, but able to present ourselves to the world as administers of the kingdom of heaven. A living sacrifice. That's who we are. But it means denying self, right? And that's the start of anything. If you can just get over yourself, we're halfway ahead to getting onto the move because so often it's us that gets in the way. It's so often our own thoughts, our own concepts, our own mindsets of who we think we are. But actually, it doesn't matter who you think you are because Christ says he's called you for it. He's anointed you and now you're in him, ready and able to do anything that he's asked you to do. Because where he's asked you to do it, it'll provide everything that you need, right? The next part is he inspired others around him. And I love this. He inspired a people around him as well. In Nehemiah 2, 16 to 18, it says this, the city officials did not know, so here he is now, he's, he's on this building site, which is like ruins, rubble everywhere, and he's walking around, and he gets to this point. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in administration. But now I said to them, You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, I love this, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began a good work. And that's it. He there turns up to this what would have been a desolate place, let's be real. I mean, it had to be the hand of God to encourage anyone to want to get involved with that. Broken city and there's a, a bunch of people, yeah, let's rebuild it. But it was the hand of God upon him. And it was his passion that inspired them to join on with the work of God. Nehemiah took a look at the work that was needed and it wasn't a little job. This, we're not talking garden walls. We're talking city walls, huge. We're not talking like, you know, a day's labour, 150. We're talking a massive, great, huge city wall with gates as big as anything. This was no little job. Yet his inspiration and his love for God and his ability to have the hand of God lead him caused others to go, we want this, let's do it. And their response was a yes. They were inspired. Now, do we carry that inspiration in our worlds? Because we have, unlike Nehemiah, we have Christ in us. The living God, if we only got hold of that for just a second, the living God that created the heavens and the earth, that spoke everything into existence, now lives in us. Oh, the passion that should come out of us when it's, we're talking about Christ. The passion that we should exert when we're, we're living our life, you know. It should cause others to want to follow. It should cause others to want to get involved. And it, and it should cause others to want to be in the mindset of working for God, right? I know it did for me when I walked into church. I was desperate for it. And I, and, and, and I was encouraged by people as well. And I was like, let's get involved. It, this is how... What happens when you, when you get saved? You become overwhelmed by Christ and it inspires others and so that's the second thing he did he inspired a bunch of people to get on board with what God was asking him to do and then the third point so he was not moved by opposition Nehemiah 4 1 and 3 says this Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall he flew into rage and mocked the Jews this is like (laughs) this is mad sitting in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? That's classic, isn't it? It's like, what? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day, just day, by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So this was seriously a broken down pile of rubbish, to the point where it was burnt as well. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked that that stone wall would collapse even if a few foxes walked on top of that. It's like, it's like they're mocking him. You know, they're, they're, they're standing there, look at you, you fool, what are you doing? You know, it's that kind of response. And Nehemiah faced the embarrassment from his enemies. Surely he would have felt human. He probably felt silly in what he was doing. He was trusting God. God never does anything half. It's always looking a bit odd at the beginning, right? He was mocked and made to feel silly about what he was doing. And I pause for there because, you know what? Some people are going to mock you for what you're doing. Some people are going to laugh at you. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, a weak person. You're a weak person. Yeah, you can't do anything by yourself. Oh, you, you trust Jesus. Oh, what? what you, you, do you believe in Noah then? Oh, it's all of that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to get, you're going to be made to feel silly about other people's opinions on you. But do we allow other people's opinions to stop us moving forward for the purposes and the work of God? You know, I've had moments before when I've been at workplaces and I had this moment once when early on in my Christianity where this guy was an evolutionist. Like the guy, I, I thought, God, this is unfair. I've just got saved. This guy had been to university and got like a degree in one of those weird scientific names. I don't even know what it was. Like, and he was there going, let me tell you about evolution. And I, was, I felt helpless. And he was laughing at me because I, I said, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Oh, right, you believe. what? And it was the whole, what, Noah? What? So you think you made everything? I'm like, yeah. And I felt so silly, but I didn't know what to do. I just had to say yes, because he, you know, what can I say? Jesus is real to me, as real as anything. Your evolution is learned. My Jesus came into my life. He touched me. He made me new. Like, your evolution does nothing for me. It just makes me, think, makes me feel confused. But sometimes it's going to be like that out there. When you're out on the, on, the, on the battleground of what God's called you to, sometimes you're going to get, here he is. You know, Jesus believers in. It's going to feel like that sometimes. And you're going to be a bit like, ah, oh, but trust me, God will come through. God will make a way. This is the reality of it. And so Nehemiah had to face that. He had to face the reality at the beginning of probably being mocked. And to be honest with you, it was probably jealousy as well, because they were probably fearful themselves, the other people. But this, the fourth point, which again, it, it just falls in line with this, is he did not get distracted from the job. And this is really important. This is probably one of the most, they're all really important. This is really important in the, in the day that we live regarding distraction. Nehemiah 6, 1 and 4 says this, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain, the plain of Ono. But I realised they were planning to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I, can, I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the message, and each time I gave the same reply. I loved that. They were trying to distract him from the work at hand. They were trying to get him to stop doing what he was doing, to try and take him to a place where he wasn't meant to be. And like, what things are doing that in our life? Because this is a really real question. This is a really real answer that only you can make. You know, when we turn up to church and we're doing this, this is great. But when the door's closed, are we still pursuing God? Or is the distractions of everything else taking us away from what God is really calling us to do? Because distractions is a very real thing. And there'll be distractions that you like. That's the problem. You're never going to be distracted with things you don't like. Because you wouldn't be bothered by it, would you? 
but they're going to be things that are going to try and take you away. Those small little voices that try and take you away from what God has asked you and called you to do. But you know what? We need to stay on track. You know, there's nothing wrong with certain things in life, hobbies and stuff like that. But never at the, at the, at the, they should never take the place of God. They should never take the place of where Christ is seated, you know. We should always have Christ our first and then anything else under that. So just like Nehemiah, we need to make sure that we carry on staying engaged with what God has asked us to do. And in this day and age, what are we called to do? Let's be real. We're called to reach a lost world, a broken world. We're called to go out there and, and seek souls that are lost completely. But it requires us to not be distracted on what we're doing. Let's not let external things distract us away from what God has asked us to do. And that's a really important question. The media is one of those things, isn't it? It's so easy to sit and just let media wipe you away for the day. And you go on a journey of Netflix and it's like, oh, what just happened there? Because it's easy to do in this, this modern day. But, and I'm not saying watch Netflix is wrong. What I'm saying is let's not substitute God and put God aside so that we can let other things distract who we are. Let's put God at the forefront of who we are. Let's honour him as the first in our life, right? And then I'll honestly believe that everything else will, will like Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall fall into place, that you shall have them. You know, seeking riches. Why do we need to seek riches? God says he will provide everything we need. Doesn't he? He says it. So I'm going to take that, God. I'm going to put my, set my heart on you and follow after you. Now the last thing that I love that Nehemiah did, and you can read it throughout all of um, Nehemiah's conversations with people, but Nehemiah 7.5, he says this, so my, this is towards the end now, so they built the wall, and he said this, so my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and the leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens for registration. And it goes on, but at that, the point that I'm trying to make here is that he always gave glory to God. It was never him doing his thing, trying to take the glory of what he was trying to do. It was never him establishing anything. It always started with God and ended with God. Even in the registration of the people, it was God that gave the idea to him. He never tried claiming anything for himself like he was some superstar. He just gave God the glory. And throughout the work, it was the, it was the hand of God upon his life. He never spoke of it like a proud fool, pride, oh yes, look what I'm called to do. It was always God at the work of it. And I say this because God deserves all the glory. We're not trying to gain glory in this modern world for ourselves. We're trying to push the glory back to God. We're trying to get the world to see God and get him glorified. We're trying to make Jesus famous, not ourselves famous. We're trying to lay ourselves down that he would be glorified. And even the prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6.13, the, the prayer that he tells us, pray like this. He says this in 6.13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's never our glory, is it? We died to self to live for him. If it's me doing it, I'm going to muck it up. Let's be real. I made an absolute mess of my life before I came to know God. Like, it was atrocious. Like, you couldn't have done a worse job, I don't think. Like, honestly, so thankful to Jesus that he did what he did because I wouldn't be here right now. And so how can I take glory for that? How can I pretend this is me even now? It's him to the glory. He's got the power. He's got the authority. And I want to push it all back to him, amen? We want to get him glorified on this earth. We want to worship him so that he'll be glorified. And this is where Nehemiah was. He did everything to glorify God. And that's how we should be. So I just want to recap this tonight. 
And if you got something from this, has it encouraged you? So we have a job to do for God. And I think we're in a season, as we say, the harvest is ripe out there. People are desperate. I don't think I've, I don't know, I've only lived in this world for 32 years, but it's pretty, I've not lived in anything that's going on right now. It's savage out there, isn't it? It's so desperate. People are broken and it's just a weird, weird season to live in. And people are desperate for God and they just need people to turn up. And we have a job to do and it involves us seeing the lost brought home and the broken restored and the sick healed. And it starts with us, not someone else, not the vicar in the church across the road. It starts with waking up in the mirror, or waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and realising it's you that has been called to the generation that's around us right now. But that isn't going to happen unless you draw close to Jesus. That isn't going to happen unless you lay down all your other things and push in and get to know him. Because out of that will be this fire that burns within you to want to go and challenge and transform the world around you with, with the love of God. We need to deny ourselves for his purpose. Which really, is it that hard thing to do when we realise how much good he's been to us? To deny ourselves for some little pleasure now when we can have so much greater treasures in heaven? Right? Are we storing up treasures now? Are we storing up for treasures in heaven? I want to be the person that stores up treasures in heaven. I don't want my kingdom to be here. I want to live for the kingdom of God. We need to let the life of Christ in us inspire others around us even if they're not saved the life of Christ is in you and it will inspire anyone it will attract people from all parts of life towards you because Christ is attractive he's full of love and mercy and kindness and we live in a world that's desperate for it we need to make sure we do not allow things to distract us away from the work and we need to make sure that we don't allow opposition to make us, oh no, I can't do that. We need to make sure we stand on God's word and not let those voices overcome us. But actually, even the Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. That's how we need to live our lives, by doing good towards those that hurt us. When the opposition comes, do good, amen? And we need to make sure that in all of this, we're giving God the glory, because he deserves it. It's all for him. He deserves it all. It's all him that's done it. Amen. It's not us. Because if, if we start taking glory, pride starts coming in. And when pride starts coming in, relationships don't work with God too well. So we need to humble ourselves and realise that to him be the glory. Amen. Everyone okay? Fantastic. Well, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us tonight. Thank you for your presence in this place. Father, we are in love with you. We love you, Jesus, more than anything else in this world. We just pray our hearts would be consumed with a fire. Even tonight as we sleep, give dreams and visions and just cause us to come alive evermore in your presence, Father, we pray. We love you and pray this week would be an incredible week filled with your um, encounters and blessings and peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. And thanks so much for watching online. Hope you got something from it and we'll see you soon. Take care.